Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the Word this morning. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I have, uh, I often say I wrestle with the Lord on what to preach on. Uh, wrestling might be a little bit of a strong word for usually, uh, but not this time. I I've, I've really have been wrestling with the Lord on, there's, there's a number of things that are on my heart, but I, I just feel real concerned for the body of Christ, and I think there's, there's some things the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. Uh, we do live in a very unique hour, and we need to realize that. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 1, listen to what it says. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. That's verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. He's speaking, this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking about a specific period in human history. He's saying there's going to be a unique dynamic in that time. That's the then he's speaking of. Well, when is then? If you go back to chapter 24, he's talking about the end of the age when Jesus returns. He's saying then the kingdom will be like. There'll be a unique dynamic. Uh, we, it goes on in verse 14. We've looked at that passage fairly recently, and he says, for it will be like a man going on a long journey, for it being the kingdom at that time. And so Jesus is talking about something unique that will happen at the time of his return. Now, the end times began with Pentecost. Do you realize that? When at the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and said, this is that which was spoken of in the last days I will pour out of my spirit. So he tied what was going on with them in that moment 2,000 years ago to the passage in Joel speaking of the end times, the last days. So we are living in the last days regardless of what your eschatology is. Whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, it'll all pan out. It doesn't matter. You're, you are living in the last days. And the longer we live, the closer we're getting to the end of time. But there are things that are beginning to line up. And so we need to be tuning our ear to what God is saying. And so there are dynamics to the end of the age that are unique to that period of human history. Now that's not to say that this passage was not applicable to the people hearing Jesus. It would have been nonsense for Jesus to gather some people and say, I'm going to talk to you so that someone can write this down because it's really only relevant to people 2,000 years from now. That's not what was going on. This passage has always been relevant. It's relevant to us whether Jesus waits another thousand years, another hundred years, or another five years. It's always been relevant. But there is a unique dynamic to what Jesus is speaking of that will increase the longer time goes on. And we need to understand that. And there are seasons where this becomes more relevant than other times, what he's talking about. So let's look at what that is, because we need to understand what this dynamic is. The, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Now again, we need to understand this is speaking of the kingdom of heaven. We've been talking on Wednesday nights. By the way, give me, let me give you a shameless plug for Wednesday nights. We are doing a kingdom foundations class. This week we're going to launch into some lab time. We're going to have information and, and then just some application. We're going to train people and we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. We're going to be looking at ministry models and equipping people. And we're going to help one another. We're going to practice on one another. And so that's this Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8. Uh, and I really want to encourage you to come. Okay. Now, he's, it, in that class we've been talking about this term, kingdom. The word, the Greek word that we translate in the New Testament kingdom is basileia. And it's speaking of the reign of God or the rule of God. It's not talking about a realm or a place. It's talking about the reign, the authority, the influence of heaven invading. And he says there's going to be a unique uh, tenor, a unique dynamic of the reign of God as it's invading earth the nearer we get to the end of time. And he says there's going to be included in the kingdom, in the reign, in the rule of God, ten virgins. And a full half of them are referred to as wise, and a full half are referred to as foolish. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of the former group. I want to be one of the wise virgins and not the foolish virgins. They're all virgins. They've all kept themselves pure, but some are wise and some are foolish. He goes on to say, five were foolish and five were wise. Verse three, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. So the dividing line, what distinguished those who are wise from those who are foolish is not that one had a lamp and the other didn't. It's that one group had extra oil and the other didn't. One group had oil in their lamp but no extra container and the other group did not. And so here's that idea of what, what's distinguishing these two. And it's troubling to me that a full half of the kingdom was divided off as foolish virgins. They were pure but they weren't wise. He goes on to say, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So what does all this mean? What's all this? Uh, you know, Jesus would often tell parables. Uh, the parables, the, the literal meaning of that word means to throw alongside. The idea is that God's ways are higher than our ways. And so we don't understand the kingdom of God. We don't understand the spiritual realm. So what does God do? He throws the physical, something we can study, alongside the spiritual, something we don't understand. And in gaining insight through the physical, we can understand the spiritual. So Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out to sow seed. Matthew 13, he had, or in Matthew, yeah, is it 13? He has the three types of soil. So we can, we can study how this soil is affected by, or the seed is affected by the different types of soil. And in so doing, we get insight in how our heart responds to the word of God. Jesus is doing the same here. He's telling us a parable. He's throwing this physical reality alongside the spiritual reality. Now, one troubling thing about parables is that although the terminology itself implies revelation or revealing, 
Jesus himself tells us one of the reasons he utilizes this methodology, this method of teaching, is to conceal the truth. So the same thing that is used to reveal the sum will conceal it from others. The disciples once asked Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And he gave this troubling response, and this should bother you. (laughs) He said, so that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see, for their hearts are hardened. And so teaching itself is a test for the human heart. When God releases teaching in the room, it will test our heart. How hungry are you? Because initially, we don't understand what God is saying. Even in Matthew 13, where Jesus told the parable of the soils, and he said of this, of that particular parable, he said, if you don't understand this, because the disciples said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the others? In other words, that parable, speaking about how the word of God affects the human heart, it holds the keys to opening up all the others. If we can understand how the word of God affects the human heart, it will allow us to cooperate with the word of God and open our heart, receive the seed, and bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus, in one of the Gospels, there, there are three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus covers this particular parable of the soils. And you have, to all, you have to put them side by side to see all that was going on. Because Matthew tells us a little bit, Mark tells us a little bit, and Luke tells us a little bit. And in so doing, it demands that we pursue and mine out the truth. God doesn't make it easy for us. Why? Because what he's telling us is so valuable that he's not going to give it to those who aren't hungry enough to pursue it. Your willingness to mine it out is indicative that you have, it, it, it shows, it reveals that you have the value system to steward what you find. And if you, aren't, if you are content to not understand, you've just proven that you don't have the value system to steward it anyway. And so Jesus' uses, Jesus use of parables, he would share things, and people would be puzzled at to, as to what he's talking about. You ever felt that way reading the Bible? I'm often puzzled. I've been, doing the, I've been studying the Word for nearly 40 years now, and I'm often puzzled. Lord, what are you saying here? And he meant it that way. In one of the Gospels, Jesus says to the disciples, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you guys. But in another gospel, we find out prior to saying that, the disciples say, what does this mean? We don't understand what you're saying. Why do you preach in parables? And that's where Jesus answers. He said, I do it so that if they hear, they won't hear. And if, they, if they're seeing, they won't see because their hearts are already hard. They don't want to receive So I release the truth to them in a way that they have to work for it. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, and the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. But we need to understand, it was the same disciples who said, Jesus, what are you talking about? They were as clueless as the rest of the crowd. So it wasn't that that they had some type of revelatory knowledge that no one else had. It's not that they had revelation, it's they had curiosity. They didn't have insight, they had hunger. 
And their hunger caused Jesus to explain his parables to them. And Jesus still operates that way. It is your hunger that will cause God to begin to explain to you his word. And there's not a person that walks the earth that understands everything they read the first time. There are layers to the word, and God intended it to be that way. Years ago, I read a quote. It said, the word of God is a stream a lamb can wade in and an ocean an elephant can drown in. Children see profound things, and the greatest minds in the world can't understand it and feel locked out. There are layers to the word, and your ability to begin to delve in and get the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, the secrets to life, your ability to get those things, to receive those from God, will be determined largely by your hunger. Are you content not to understand? Is there a hunger in your heart that I have to know? And so Jesus told this parable. So it begs the question, what in the world is he talking about? Ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. They all had lamps and some had extra flasks of oil and some didn't. What is all this? Proverbs, I want to say it's chapter 20. It might be chapter 22. There's an interesting little verse that says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord and with it he searches out the heart. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. When we are born again, it says that the, the Spirit of God brings life to our human spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about those who are made one with him in spirit. Those who are joined to him in spirit become one with him in spirit, I think is, is how it's worded in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul is alluding to that born again regenerative uh, event where we meet Jesus. You remember when that happened to you? I'll never forget when I got saved, when his spirit came in my dead human spirit, all of a sudden the one-dimensional black and white world became, had depth, it turned to color, there was music, it was like a Disney cartoon, there were butterflies and flowers, and I couldn't believe the sun looked like it was shining brighter. I was picking up on things I didn't see. Seriously, I, I remember talking to people and I was picking up on things. I thought, wow, that's weird. I, you know, Surely that's just me. And then I would find out that's really what was going on. And it was an amazing thing because all of a sudden, this whole third dimension of my being, I was one third dead. And all of a sudden, this organ called my human spirit, it kicked in. <laughs> I was picking up on things, and all of a sudden, the spiritual realm became real. My lamp started to burn. It was ignited by the Spirit of God. So I would propose to you what Jesus is talking about is the virgin with the lamp is the believer who has kept themselves pure. When we get saved, our spirit is infused with life by the Holy Spirit, and he resides within us. And it's what gives us light. That is true as an individual. But then in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks of the church being a lamp stand. And the lamp stand, remember where Jesus said, I will remove your lamp stand? He warns these churches. If the human, if the lamp 
that Jesus is speaking of in this passage is the human spirit being born again and our having the light of God shining through us, then the lampstand is that dynamic in a corporate sense where the Spirit of God is bearing witness in our midst. We are registering activity in the spiritual realm as a congregation. And here is the scary thing. We could meet as a church. Jesus warned churches, I will remove your lampstand. We can gather as a church from an earthly perspective, but not register in the Spirit because our lampstand has been removed. We can gather as saints with no oil and not be burning bright. And so we need to realize that we've got to continue to burn. So if the lamp, and and understand, they were all virgins, they all had lamps, they were all looking for the bridegroom to come. Jesus is often spoken of in the parables and uh, you know, way back in the, uh, in the Song of Solomon, this dynamic of the bridegroom. We're looking for his return. So they were pure people. They, they were born again. Their lamp was burning. And they were looking for the return of the Lord. The difference between these two groups was the, the wisdom they had or the lack thereof manifested by the lack of oil that they carried. So if the lamp is our, our walk with God, what is the oil? I would propose to you that the oil represents that intimacy that we keep a reserve in store. Let's read on here, and we'll come back to that. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Verse five, as the bridegroom was delayed, that is the distinguishing feature of the end of the age, is the test on the human spirit of the delay of the king. You ever had a promise from God and it seems delayed? It tests you, doesn't it? It's one thing to have faith in the moment you receive the promise. It's another thing to hold to that faith when the promise is being delayed. And one of the great tests of the human spirit, one of the great tests of the Christian life is the delay of promises. I remember I had someone come to me because we're big on the prophetic in this house. We're car- we are pregnant with prophetic promises. There are things the Lord has spoken to us over the years Some of them we've seen realized, and we look at them through the rearview mirror. Some of them we're we're experiencing and walking in the present, but there's a lot of them we're, we're looking up ahead on the horizon. And just like a mountain range as you drive towards, you ever driven to Colorado? Think, there's the mountains. I remember the first time I went to Colorado, never seen a mountain. There's the mountains. We'll be there any moment. Four hours later, there they are, any moment. Four hours more, there they are, every moment. And what looked like initially as something that was so, one, one mountain range that was so close was in actuality multiple mountain range off in the distance. And the prophetic often manifests in that way. The promise we got is a series of promises that come progressively. And they always look closer than they really are. And the test of the human heart 
Will you believe when there's delay? What do you do when there's delay? Listen to what happens. This is what happens to us. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Notice this. They were all pure. They were virgins. They all had lamps. They were all looking for his return, and they all fell asleep. It wasn't just the foolish ones that fell asleep. They became drowsy. They were, their, their perseverance was waning, and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a cry. Remember that old hymn, The Midnight Cry? Anybody remember that? I'm not going to sing. Huh? Don't worry. At, but at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Every one of them, the wise and the foolish, all awakened. And they trimmed their lamps. They, they turned up the wick and the burnt part from when it had gone out. They fixed that, that burnt, that scorched part that's not going to burn bright. They fixed it so they could burn bright. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, now doesn't this sound incompassionate? But the wise answered saying, since there is not be enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. Boy, just as I said that, my computer went black. That was scary. I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. This is a sobering passage because Jesus is talking to people saying there's gonna be a dynamic in the kingdom and a full 50% of that crowd. I don't believe that Jesus chose that randomly. I believe everything's written for a purpose. And a whole 50% of the crowd was foolish because they didn't have extra oil. Here's the deal. You cannot live on somebody else's intimacy. You can't live on borrowed oil. You have to have your own. You have to have your own walk, especially in those times of delay when your, your spirit is being tested. How do we build a flask to hold oil? How do we accrue oil that we have extra? How do we keep that so that when our, we're in those hours of delay and the times of pressure, when things are happening all around us, that we have extra oil to burn? How do we do that? I would say that a flask is a structure that is able to hold extra oil. And there's a way that you can structure your life to begin to accrue oil, accrue your own. If you don't have your own intimate walk with the Lord, if you, don't, if you don't spend time with him alone, you'll have a tendency to live off of other people's oil. If you don't get into the word for yourself, you are dependent upon your pastor on Sunday and the TV preachers the rest of the week. 
And that may sustain you in the good times, but in the hard times, you've got to have your own oil. When it all starts coming down around you, you have to have a relationship with the one who sells oil. It's interesting here that the wise virgin said, go and buy oil. Now, if you read commentary, some, some uh, commentators will say, well, this proves that this is not speaking of the Spirit because you can't buy the Spirit. But I would tell you that that's wrong. Isaiah 55, if you remember that, Isaiah cries out, he's, he's speaking prophetically as the Messiah, the Messiah, come buy you without money, buy food to eat, buy wine to drink. He's, he's inviting them to purchase without money. So if we're not using money to purchase, what are we using? In order for there to be an exchange, in order for someone to buy something, there has to be something of, of value, something that both the buyer and the seller agree upon that is valuable. And there's an exchange of that thing. And that's when there's a purchase. The most valuable thing you and I have, and the way you accrue oil, is through spending your time. There's no shortcuts in this thing. And you cannot rely on your pastor to get along with God. You cannot rely on your elders or your parents or your spouse or some other spiritual figure in your life. You can't rely on your spiritual mother and father to hear from God or some traveling prophet. You better know where to get the oil for yourself. Because there's an hour coming this dynamic is going to increase towards the end of the age. And in the good times, we can swap oil. And there's something about trade, you know, sharing what God's shown us and all that, and that's great. We can feed off of one another. That is wonderful. But when everything begins to fall around your ears, you better have a well-worn path to the oil distributor. You better know how to get your own oil. Can you get in the word for yourself and learn to draw truths? I mean, it's an amazing thing that the Bible becomes so personal to those who are hungry. If you will, if you will be desperate, I'm telling you, I remember a time in my life, I was so overwhelmed by the Bible. I was raised in church. I knew the stories, but I would hear preachers get up and say, this is what this means. And I would get along with God and read, and I'm thinking, how do I trust myself to even know? Anybody ever felt like that? I thought, I don't trust me. How do I know? And it was overwhelming. They're talking about helmets the Hittites wore. I'm like, how do you know that stuff? And I remember just going, I used to go to, when I, when I lived in, I got out of Teen Challenge. I lived in Arnold, Missouri. I worked, I went to this Bible school, this little Bible Institute this church ran and, uh, in Arnold, Missouri, and I worked for their daycare. I had like 35 four-year-olds, and sometimes, well, it was like 30 four-year-olds and 35 three-year-olds, so sometimes I'd be with the three-year-olds. That would be illegal today, but uh, so that's what I did for a living. So I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, I would make a pot of coffee, slam it down, and go to the church and spend time with the Lord before I had to open the daycare at 6, 6 a.m., and I would just seek the Lord. And I remember telling the Lord, I'd say, God, I don't understand your book. 
but I want to know you. I don't know how to pray. I used to go over to the church, and I, there was this one season in my life, I said, God, I'm going to spend two hours every night with you, one hour in the Word and one hour in prayer. It killed me. I prayed for every person I ever knew and ever could know in like 10 minutes. I'm like, God. And I would walk around that sanctuary, and I'd say, God, I don't even know how to do I'd first check under the seats to make sure no one else is in there. And I'd say, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to pray. I'd read in the Word, and it'd say, dance before the Lord. Now, I dance really ugly, okay? I mean, I didn't dance when I was a drinker. I'm an ugly dancer. But I'd look at it, okay, Lord, and I would jump around, clod hopping, you know, and, and I, Lord, is that good? Yeah. Just having these conversations with the Lord, but I was hungry to know him. And I didn't know how. And I would just say, God, this is what I see in your word. You've got to explain it to me. I'd get on my knees and read the word and just sit there and read over and over and over and not understand anything. I want to tell you, God began to show up in that sanctuary with this 19, 20-year-old kid who was a mess. I was so socially awkward. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you still are. Well, <laughs> I was so socially awkward because my entire life had circled around drugs and alcohol. And all of a sudden, my personality was gone. I, I didn't know who I was. And I felt so awkward. I was a mess. I was tormented with anxiety. But when I cried out to him, he revealed himself to me. And he'll do the same for you. And you must wear a path to his presence for yourself. Because you can't rely on someone else's revelation, someone else's oil. God longs to reveal himself to you. And he will teach you. And it takes time to build a structure called a flask. It's the discipline to life. But if we'll begin to carve out time and make time for him and just say, God, I want you to reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Lord, sp you speak to me out of your word. And there are times where God will give you a scripture. And you're like, he, millions of people have written, read this but I know he put it there just for me right in this moment. It's an amazing thing where God's word will become real to you and it'll kiss your soul. And there's something about that when you get up from that place, it strengthens you and you walk in a bubble of his presence and you've been rooted in his word. You have, you have plugged into the creator and sustainer of the universe in that moment and you get up from that place and you can face anything. Because you're plugged into him. We need to learn that. And it's never a one-time thing. It's building that structure in our life where we have reserves because you never know what you're going to face that day. You never know what's on the horizon. We need to accumulate reserves. We need to learn to draw from him on an ongoing way. What is a flask? It's the structured life. It's the life that's lived around his presence. It's the life that says, God, I'm going to make you my primary pursuit. 
and I'm going to make room in my life. If I've got to get up at the crack of dawn to do so or I've got to stay late, I'm going to make sure daily I spend time with you. And just find your own rhythm. Back when I was younger, I would stay up really late because I wasn't married. Now I get up early because <laughs> I'm married. My whole life, you know, it just, it'll upset your life. Getting married, I'm going to tell you. But that's another sermon. But just find space for him. Don't be foolish. Yesterday, Linda Moon, I got to get a Kleenex. Yesterday, Linda Moon sent me an email. It was an article quoting Heidi Baker. Some of you may have seen it. And uh, Heidi recently had an encounter with the Lord. I don't even know who Heidi Baker is. She's a phenomenal apostolic leader, missionary. They are shaking the nations. Jean and Tisa ministered with Heidi and Roland for years and are still part of their network. Jean, wave at us. And uh, they're still part of their network. And, uh, but Heidi is a tremendous woman of God. She said she had an encounter with the Lord where she was seeing great glory and great suffering coming to America. And the Lord was showing her this suffering coming to America, and she was just crying. She, was, she said, I found myself just groaning and groaning, and she said, I realized I was groaning for the U.S., and as she was groaning, the Lord told her that there's great suffering coming to the United States. And she said, Lord, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And the Lord began to really deal with her and said, you told me you would go wherever I told you to go and say whatever I told you to say. And she began to cry and said, Lord, I'm so, so sorry. I'll say whatever you want me to say. But she's been preaching this message and telling people it's not an hour to play games. This is an hour to press in. Because there's things coming on the horizon. We're going to need oil. And I, so I, I texted Will Hart because Will runs their ministry. I said, hey, is this true? I sent a copy of the article. I haven't heard back. But that, so I called Leif just, just to call Leif. And he said, hey, I, he said, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't talk right now. I'm just walking into a service with Heidi Baker. He said, I can talk this afternoon. I said, hey, well, I got you on the phone. I just read this. Is it true? And he said, yes, it's true. So I called him yesterday afternoon, and he said they spent about an hour and a half at lunch talking about it. He had asked her about it because it was my question. He just thought, hey, I'm going to ask her, and she unpacked this thing. And I want to tell you, she saw great glory, but great suffering. Great glory, but great suffering. And in the coming days when the promises that we're crying out for are delayed, you're going to need your own oil. You cannot live off of somebody else's intimacy, somebody else's oil. And the commodity of heaven is time. It's the great equalizer. Every one of us have 24 hours in a day. And every one of us gets to choose what we do with that time. And I want to encourage you this morning, carve out some of that time and begin to invest it in intimacy with the Lord because that's where oil's going to come from.
It's the oil of intimacy where you learn to hear from him for yourself, where you know how to practice his presence, where you're hearing from him and you get your marching orders, not secondhand, not from what your pastor's telling you. I hope and I do believe what I tell you is of value. But if that's where it stops, That's not what it's intended for. What I'm saying this morning is to provoke you. Get your own. Get your own. Listen, we gather here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 7 to 8, Wednesday, 6 to 8. You don't have to come to one of those prayer meetings, but it's a good opportunity for you to do so. Find your rhythm and carve out some time. As your pastor, I love you, and I want you to be prepared for what's coming. And I believe that is a word from the Lord. Be a wise virgin. Begin to build a flask called the disciplined life. That structure that can hold reserves that you begin to accumulate a history in God. Because as we see from this passage, when the time came, the opportunity came, the hour of visitation came, the hour of need came, It's too late to build a history. All you have is the history you already have. So begin to build a history with God now. That history with God is something you can pull from and draw from. There's past victories, past revelation, intimacy. That There are passages I can go to And it just breaks me in half because he spoke to me out of that in my hour of need. And it becomes a doorway. I can enter right back in there. It's not the sermons I heard from someone else that break me in his presence. It's not the sermons I heard from someone else that hold me in the hard times. It's the things I heard directly from him in the hard times. And I'm not unique It's true of all of us. And he wants to give you your own unique flask. The book of Esther. The first chapter there, it's an interesting passage. And I believe it's a prophetic allegory. It says Artaxerxes had a big party. I want to say it lasted six months or nine months. I mean, that was a party. And this was the rule, the royal rule. Everybody can drink all they want. And everyone was given a unique glass to drink from. It was a little gold goblet. And everyone was different. Everybody had their own unique glass. And the limitation was not on the end of the royal winery. It was on the consumer. I'm here to tell you this morning it still is. The royal rule is you can drink all you want of him. And every one of us have a unique little cup. We all receive in different ways. Some of you are night owls, and that's your sweet time with Jesus. Some of you are morning people. Linda, she's getting up about the time some of you are going to bed. Linda Moon. We're all different. Just find your rhythm. What is the disciplined life that you can build that you're creating an opportunity. You're building space in your life. 
for God to speak to you, and you're pulling on heaven, and you're being like the disciples, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand what does this mean. And I'm, I, I, on the authority of God's word, I promise to you, you will hear him say, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, and he will explain his own teaching to you. But you got to be hungry enough to push in for it. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.